Hello, 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 New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHH Community Radio, 103.5 FM New Haven. I am very excited to be back. It's I, I was going to say back in the studio. We're not quite back in the studio yet. I'm actually joining you uh, today from Congregation Beth El Kesser, Israel, where the artist Cynthia Beth Rubin has a show up. But I'm very excited today to be welcoming the uh, the artist and Dr. Maurice Harris, also known as the artist Ione. Um, we will be talking about the Fracture Excital, which is a still nascent or still new project, yeah, um, from, uh, from 1515 Records, which is your label as an artist. But so, so first of all, I'm very excited to talk about that. Let's jump right in. And then I'm going to want to go into the Wayback Machine and, and talk to you because everyone has a story of how they became an artist. Sure. But first, let's talk about what the Fracture Excital is. Right. So the Fracture Excital, that funny little made up word, Excital, we'll start there. So Excital is um, a concept uh, that I developed in connection with my, my label around an exhibition and recital. So that, that's that's the idea. It's an exhibition and recital. And where this all came from and, and how this is different from like a, a typical um, concert or art installation has to do with the intentionality of the project. So in the specific case, the Fracture Excital. So the, the album Fracture, while the music was in production, um, in the background, there was a there was a lot of work being done around the visuals, the visual concept for the album. In this case, work that I was doing with um, a group known as the Collective New Haven, um, a collective of photographers. They build themselves as Black creatives, Black visual artists here in New Haven. And uh, they were working with me on constructing or visualizing the story of the album. So although the songs on the album can be taken individually, if you listen to them in sequence, if you um, have some background into sort of the meanings of the and the intentions of, of the lyrics, a story begins to unfold. And so they help to tell this visually. And then once we got to the point of, of announcing the album's release, the question was, how do we tell the whole story? More than just a release party where folks get around and listen to, you know, sit, sit around and listen to some of the material that is performed live. We really wanted to express kind of the, 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 um, the complexity and the completion of the project. And so we had this idea of doing a combination exhibition, a photo exhibition and recital, which we held back in September. At, um, at Next Haven. And it was really wonderfully uh, received there. And then shortly after that, we were invited to do a version of that uh, at Toad's Place. And so with a little bit of um, reimagining, re-envisioning, so originally, if you think about um, presenting in Next Haven, we took uh, a, put a music performance in an art gallery, essentially. And so now here we're taking a visual arts uh, exhibition and putting it in a music venue, essentially. So how does that translate um, and, and how does that differ between the two venues? And that was really the question that we uh, that we were challenged with in bringing the uh, the Toads show to fruition. And I believe that what we have in store is pretty, uh, pretty cool, pretty exciting. So that that is that's sort of the, the concept, the idea behind an excital. So uh, before we get into the the upcoming show at Toad's Place, which is on Thursday, March second, I believe it's seven p.m. Uh, doors open at eight. And oh, doors at eight. At eight thirty. So yeah, later, but, uh, that yeah. that was my um, my. I have like an octogenarian somewhere in my rib cage, and so that was my. Uh, I I don't know my inner self coming out maybe, and <laughs> and um, but 
But I'm I'm wondering, you know, everyone has a story of how they became an art. Everyone is an artist. So maybe I shouldn't say how you became an artist, but how you stepped into that part of yourself. So take me back a little bit or a lot of it to um to little Maurice and yeah. and sort of where you discovered art for the first time and then how you became a musician and and why music is an art form that speaks to you music I I, I will say music and visual art so we'll get sure. into that I've always loved music um literally as far back as I can remember and if we're talking origin stories I would have to start when I was maybe I don't know like right out of my toddler years maybe between the ages of four and six um, when I was living with my mother and my stepfather, my stepfather, um, you know, he was in the military, he was in the Air Force, and outside of his military work um, was a minister and a musician in, in the church. And we had an organ at home, and he often practiced on the organ at home. And he was, you know, he had no formal music training, he played entirely by ear. And um, my parents had bought me a little, it was like a toy organ that sat next to his organ. And I would sit down and I would try to play the things that he was playing on his organ. And they realized in really short order that I could actually play the, <laughs> I was learning those songs. I could actually play the songs. And so um, as early as I can remember, um, they put me into piano lessons. And then traveling around as much as one does in a, in a military family, I had uh, any number of teachers pretty much anywhere we traveled. I always had um, teachers and mentors in the music space. Um, at some point even uh, picked up the trumpet in elementary school and played trumpet and piano. And then fast forward into my um, preteen and teen years when we were living in Germany. And I think that for me was um, a big sort of, um, turning point, I guess, in, in my relationship with music. And it became very, it became much more serious uh, to me at that point. I was working with a, um, a particular instructor at the time who was uh, classically trained and her methods were very classical. Um, but for me and my own sort of musical upbringing, um, improvisation was very important to me. If you think about, you know, music uh, in, the, in the American vernacular and especially in the African-American tradition, um, improvisation was 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 important to me. And so while I was learning these um, traditional European classical compositions, I would oftentimes, I'd memorize the music and then I'd sit down on my piano lessons and I'd play a version of that piece with maybe embellishments <laughs> that I'd come up with on my own. Um, and while it was um, amusing to my piano instructor, um, she also had the, I think the foresight not to discourage it. Instead, had a conversation with with my dad and said i think you should find an opportunity for him to play professionally and to develop his own style and so my parents really took that idea and ran with it um ironically around that time an opportunity came open on the base the air base where, where we were stationed um for a pianist for the department of defense chapel services i auditioned for it and i got the gig and then I think the rest from there for me was history. I knew then at that point that um, music would always be a part of my life. I became more actively engaged in writing compositions. And then fast forward years beyond that, when I um, you know, was entering in the working world, uh, my, my very first, my very first uh, professional job was actually at a small uh, record label, independent record label and production company called um, Lagosa Records and Sound Studios. Um, and Lagosa's early claim to fame, or, or I'm going to really show my age and, and maybe some of, some of the other ages of folks who are on this call, 
was um, Let the Music Play by Shannon. So the producer, the founder of this of this label, of the studio, um, was also the, the producer of that particular hit um, and was also the manager of a lot of uh, chart-topping chart artists that, that came out of um, came out of uh, Lagosa and then, Leg uh, then later Legend Entertainment. And so I worked there for almost a decade, actually. Um, and in my early career there, um, started writing background music for film and television. And at the same time, had an administrative, in an administrative capacity, it's a small production company, you, you wear a lot of hats. So in, in an administrative capacity, was also doing, uh, working in artist management and in music licensing, um, primarily. And so I recognized early on sort of the value of being able to have creative control from a production perspective, from an intellectual property perspective, while at the same time, never really abandoning and, and very much nur uh, nurturing um, my um, my creative interests. And that's just a thread that I've continued to carry with me um, up through today. So I think that that is really, I think those are really the most important aspects of my origin story, if you will. And how was ENA born? Right. ENA. So ENA has an interesting um, emergence of um, of his own. So I had written under a number of various pseudonyms and then had really taken a break and hadn't really published or produced anything um, in the early 2000s. And I, I, you know, during that time, I was actually, you know, on my administrative side, I had shifted to a lot of doing marketing communications in the corporate world. And had started to drift away from the thing that I really, really loved, which was music. And for me, ENA, the creation of this, this character, ENA really is what it was, it was character, it was a pseudonym at the, at the start, um, was a way for me to re-engage, to reconnect, um, and to be someone other than Maurice. Sometimes the hardest thing to do as an artist is to, I think, really to be oneself. I feel like, at least for me creatively, it's um, really liberating to step out of the name Maurice Harris, the expectations and the and the and the sort of the perceptions that people have about Maurice Harris, and to step into a, and to step into um, a new character, I was looking for a a name that embodied uh, kind of the things that the things that I loved and were meaningful to me. So, for example, you know, I'm I, electronic music, electronica has always been my thing, my passion. So, electronic music. Um, spirituality, I find that no matter how I slice it, I can never really get away from the impact that spirituality and you know my 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 religious upbringing um has on my music, although it's secular music, there are definitely spiritual components that have to be grappled with and and have to be explored, not suppressed. And so for me, looking for a name that sort of embodied all of that. And um I was looking, you know, it was, the name it was a word that, that had come to me and the word was um uh ion 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 -E, which by some recounts has its roots in um the ancient greek word that today uh we we take to mean ion or like you know the, the atomic ion and then there were other definitions that i was reading other etymologies that i was reading that said that the name is actually linked to the um iona community. So when you think about a religious or spiritual community, and for me, I thought that's really great. I love that you have this one word, this one name that could have these two different meanings, and they both sort of um, coincide or intersect um, in, a, in a space that I think in the space is very cool and important to me. Um, changing the pronunciation of, 
of ion to ENA was kind of intentional on my part. Another aspect of my music that I think is very important is um, challenging and sometimes questioning gender roles. So this is something that is a more subtle aspect, but yet still an important aspect of, of my music, myself being a member of the LGBT community. And um, especially in my early career, um, being active uh, in, in uh, more activist work in the community, it was important for me to really challenge what I felt I saw at the time a trend in electronic music toward um, sounds and, and content that was very uh, masculine, hyper-masculine in, in, in many cases. So when one would think of electronic music, they would think of this sort of hyper-masculinized um, um, dance music and techno and just the, these things that, you know, I felt uh, could be, you know, could be explored more holistically and fully and beyond just these, these gender-based stereotypes. And so for me, ENA was a way of obscuring uh, maybe the gender of the name to have people think about, you know, think about it on a larger scope. I'm also curious, do you think that your upbringing, so the fact that you moved around a lot and, and also spent time in Germany, uh, you know, factored into that as well? So I, I imagine, I don't know how big your world was, because uh, when we talk about moving around in a military family, we're also talking about within the context of a base, usually. Um, and at the same time, I think a, lo a lot of folks, so you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I think uh, if you were a man, if you were a black man, if you were a cisgender black man, like you, you were put in a box. Um, and that was also true, I think, for for a lot of folks, especially when you're talking about gender stereotypes. Mm -hmm. um, did you find that uh, you had different experiences and different interactions with people that let you think differently about gender? I mean, it, I'm especially thinking about how um, I think in Germany and in Europe, the expression of gender um, for both male and female presenting folks can be very different than it is in the U.S. I love that you asked that question. Um, for me, I would think the experience was most, uh, uh, I, I observed the experience, the differences in, in the experience, the cultural experiences, actually more around race than around gender. So I do want to talk about this. So um, Ironically, when we lived in the United States, we lived predominantly on military installations, unless we were, you know, visiting with or living short periods of time with with um, non-military family members, which we did from time to time. So um, the majority of my experience in the United States when I was growing up was within the context of military installations, military life. When we lived overseas, though, we lived overseas twice. Very early when I when I very young when I was. In, uh, when we were in England and then later on in my um, preteens and teen years in Germany, um, we actually lived off base. And so uh, I was really, you know, immersed in uh, a completely new culture for me at that time, um, except for when I engaged with my uh, colleagues at school, you know, went to American schools um, in those areas. So for me, you know, moving back to the United States, I was going into my what my eleventh year in eleventh uh, grade in high school at the time. So moving back to the United States, the um, first and most jarring sort of difference was the first time I realized that I was being discriminated against, being treated differently than my colleagues because of the color of my skin, because of my ethnicity, because of my racial background. Um, as opposed to any other reason. And that was um, 
to say the least, um, it was eye-opening. It was interesting. It was heartbreaking. It was, uh, you know, recognizing very early on that I felt like, you know, when I was um, attending high school in my teen years in the United States, that you had to pick which table you were going to sit at at lunch. Um, you know, they, there was the table that had predominantly you know, the, the white kids or the popular kids or the black kids or um, and so in my case, I chose the the band geeks. So that was my that was my crew. I felt like it was you know, more representative of the um, of the diversity that that I was um, accustomed to and aspired to. And and also, you know, all my friends were kind of band geeks like me. So we we found it. We made a space for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And did you so I know you, you were playing the piano at this point. Were you also playing um, what we think of as, you know, traditional band instruments? Yes, I was a trumpeter. Oh, yes. Okay. Loved it. Yeah, yes. I, I love a good trumpet. Yeah, um, I often think back and wonder why I ever put it down. And I wish that, you know, I could just put, pick it up. And there's it. time. You have time. This is true. I'm, I'm expecting your next project to have, you know, trumpet, like, I don't know, loop trumpet, something really Dif different that you don't expect in uh, electronic art. <laughs> I accept the challenge. Um, so I also wanted to ask you about, you mentioned having a background in organizing, um, which is, you know, people wear a lot of hats during their lifetimes. Yeah. And I think certainly your background in organizing comes through on your 20, it's 2021 work for those who remain. Right. Um, so I, I want to ask you about how um, sort of, how that intersects with your your personality and, and your work as an artist, because none of those worlds can ever be completely separate. Right, right. So there's a lot to unpack there. And to unpack that, I do have to take a quick, you know, jump back into um, into the past. You know, I think about um, the years that I lived and worked in, in Cincinnati uh, for some time. And there was a thing during part of my time in Cincinnati called Article 12, which was um, Google it if you're not familiar with it, and you'll see and kind of understand all the ugliness to Article 12, which was um, a little thing in the, in the ordinances Cincinnati that actually made it legal for employers and landlords to discriminate against individuals based on their sexual orientation. Um, this was also during a time, um, this was before, and I'm going to start showing my age, this was before um, same gender partner benefits. Um, this was before it was frankly, okay to be out at work, you know, and where I worked at the time, you could be dismissed, you know, if they felt that your sexual orientation was um, an issue or a distraction uh, from your, for your ability to do your job. And at that time, I was actually um, invited by and, and sort of sponsored by the head of, the head of human resources of a company that I was working to um, start an LGBT business resource group at the company. Um, knowing the risks that we were taking jointly uh, to, to um, lobby for same gender partner benefits and um, deeper participation in the uh, HRC's equality index at the time. Um, so it was, you know, HRC provides sort of guidelines, a rubric of what they look for in companies that are um, considered to be open, affirming, accepting, and, um, and supportive. And so um, really working on that um, at you know, kind of a mid-manager level at the time, I had um, I was kind of on the cusp. I had just been promoted into an assistant vice president role, but um, to be like taking on that responsibility um, so early in my career and, and recognizing uh, also how much I had to lose personally, but 
with it meaning so much to me personally to um, take that step. And I am still really um, moved today by the people that I met during that process, coworkers who came out as um, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, um, as a part of this process and just all came together. And I think one of the most beautiful moments was um, the first year that our, our company participated in Cincinnati's LGBT uh, Pride Parade. And more than half, we had almost 100 participants that year, more than half of the participants were allies of the LGBT community who came out to, you know, to make their statement that they also felt like um, there needed to be uh, changes in the company. And there were, in fact, immediate changes around that same time. Uh, the company then extended same gender partner benefits. And, and just like it was like a domino effect after that. We saw, um, I think just prior to that, we had seen the repeal of Article 12 in Cincinnati. And so um, for me, I think um, that that's another maybe chapter of the of the origin story, but the origin story around how I recognized that um, I had the ability or a platform or a stage through my artistic practice to continue to affect social change. And I wanna try to um, uncouple um, social action from social change because through my music, I can't get necessarily get people to go out and do, but I can expand how they think and how they feel. And just by you know being exposed to the work that I'm producing, I maybe affect some sort of social change. Yeah. I mean, I also want to say, I think that one thing I have seen and really appreciated as a reporter um, is that social social action or social change or, or whatever terminology you wish to use takes a lot of different forms, right? Um, so I think protest and being able to occupy and take up space is really, really important. And, and we've seen that here in New Haven. It's been, you know, really exciting when there are thousands of people who will sit in the middle of the city street and divert traffic, for instance. But I have also been very moved by folks in New Haven, uh, most of whom are artists who have chosen. So I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, Sun Queen, who's the founder or co-founder of Black Lives Matter in New Haven, who's a, a poet. Um, I'm thinking of Hanifa Washington, who is now on the West Coast, whose Songs for the Revolution is how she chose to engage and interact with protest and the fight for social justice. And so I I think absolutely, I, I would say just don't sell yourself short. I, I think what you're doing is uh, inciting change and, and sparking a, a dialogue around change. Attempting to, and in a very intentional way. So now I want to jump ahead in time. Let's do it. When I was, yeah, to when I was working on my, um, on my doctorate. So you had mentioned at the top of the, the program that, you know, I'm sometimes formally known as Dr. Maurice Harris. So it's a, it's a, a PhD in ethical and creative leadership um, with an additional certification in uh, Martin Luther King Jr. studies. So I want to talk about the ethical and creative leadership piece, because for me, my dissertation work really focused on um, something known as theory U, so a concept known as theory U, which is um, a, a way of thinking about, you know, in the, in the business world, in business context, it's a way about thinking about change in organizations or changing systems, but in the social realm can also be thought of as um, ways of um, thinking or inspiring social change. And there are three fundamental movements, three foundational movements. And, you know, the first one is observe, observe, observe. It's about understanding the environment and taking in as much as you can learn, as much as you know about this environment. And the second piece is retreat and reflect, which is allowing, um, in, in, uh, in the author's words, allowing the inner knowing 
to emerge. I really like that because that comes from a very intuitive place for me as an artist. And then the third stage is about acting in an instant or prototyping um, in a sense. And for me that, you know, as an artist, that is when I take those ideas that are emerging and I commit them into a recording. But the whole process um, is designed to really, I think, help to, to, to hone one's intention, one's intuition into something, at least for me as an artist, into something that is um, not only um, entertaining, but also meaningful and intentional. And, you know, it, it never loses that, that, that intended thread of social change. So let's talk about how that factors into the fracture excital. And, um, you know, for for those folks who don't know your work, uh, there is also great coverage in the New Haven Independent of your 2021 project for those who remain. And so if people are interested in finding out more, I su- highly, highly suggest going to the Independent and, and reading about that. So this project um, you kicked off last fall. Uh, I guess September is like late summer, early fall um, at at Next Haven, which has lived many, many lives in New Haven's Dixwell neighborhood. And, and this is just the most recent. And it was a combination performance, uh, recital, art exhibition, installation that took a huge amount from from my understanding of planning, um, including like a, a photo shoot with a shipwreck. Um, it was a UFO crash landing, but yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, even better, right? Um, so, so let's let's talk about the sources of inspiration that went into that, and and then I'm really interested in, you know, how this um, sort of graphs itself differently onto different spaces in this in the city of New Haven. But we'll take it one thing at a time. So, like, what take me into Dr. Maurice Harris's brain? It seems like a wacky and wonderful place to be. Um, talk, you know, talk me through this setup because it's maybe not what everyone thinks about in the shower every morning. Sure. So, um, I've always been a science fiction junkie, especially Star Trek, so big Trekkie. And uh, I've often wondered why, and I think at some point it occurred to me that um, kind of like stepping into a pseudonym helps you to express, you know. Um, yourself in ways other than your real person, science fiction is a way of reconciling the madness of the world that just seems so, you know, mad that it just can't be real. Like, how do you, you know, how do you express this? And sometimes it it's easier to express it through a work of fiction. You had mentioned um, the album For Those Who Remain. So for those who remain, you know, for me, the fundamental question was, as we're looking around and we're, we're, we're seeing, um, missions to Mars and explorations, uh, you know, beyond planet Earth with this um, subtext of Earth is falling apart, Earth is coming to an end, we need to find other places to live and to exist other than this planet. And then, of course, the fundamental question of, well, who gets to take this trip and who gets left behind? So this is, you know, I'll leave it there for those who are interested in listening to the uh, to the album, for those who remain. And, um, and, and get to hear some of the commentaries and the interviews and things that that help to shape that that album and, and and speak to that question. With fracture, it was really looking more intently at the breakdown of systems in which we put our faith and trust. So we think about topics, current topics like the decline in democracy across the world. We look at things that have happened um, politically within our own country. 
And um, we look at the impact that human interventions have had um, on the environment and the changes that that's causing. Um, and I think about things even like my um, my faith in religion, you know, um, what is it that we are putting our, our faith and trust in from a spiritual sense? And do we feel like those objects of faith um, have have really served us in the form of salvation? How are those how are those objects of faith saving us? And and then questioning kind of our own accountability in all of this and perhaps even to some degree our own culpability on whatever level that is. And then finally, um, you know, looking at what, what we might perceive as um, a solution or a start or a place to open the conversation around solutions, which for me begins with learning to love each other with fewer conditions. I look at like a lot of the um, breakages that we have in our systems, in our um, social systems, environmental systems, et cetera. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, breakages that we have between ourselves as humans and the inability to be able to have um, difficult conversations or, or be able to engage differences constructively. And so this, these things I think were, this was the observance and the retreating and reflecting that I really did around, uh, around fracture. And that emerged in the form of a science fiction story again. Um, and in this particular case, you know, the visuals from the collective do a wonderful job of telling the story. We're following a, a, a cyborg who is in a future time. And in this future time, the world is falling apart. Surprise, surprise. And so this cyborg travels back to the past um, to uh, try to you know, intervene or to warn the people of the past of what's coming in the future only to travel back to the past to find a world that is very much the same as the world that this that, that we had left um, in the future. And uh, so not really finding a solution, but um, left with uh, not only with questions, but also kind of opening it up to the audience to sort of choose how the story ends. And so I think this is where Fracture takes us, Fracture takes us musically. Um, so I'm just gonna remind people if they're just joining us, here on WNHH uh, LP 103.5 FM New Haven. This is Arts Respond, a collaboration with the Arts Council of Greater New Haven. I'm Lucy Gelman, and my guest today is Dr. Maurice Harris, or Ione. Is that correct? Okay. I'm like in my head about it now. Um, so uh, Dr. Harris or Ione, um, I, as we're talking about the fracture excital, I, so I, one thing I heard is, as you were talking about sort of the different sources that went into your vision, um, I'm I'm thinking of the the black women who have influenced this project, and um, of course the the first who jumped to my mind is the late great Nichelle Nichols, um, who well, I'm not going to do the Trekkie hand symbol, but. Um, uh, but then also, as you were speaking about, yes, yes, hold, yes, be proud. Um, uh, and and then also, as as you were speaking about uh, this narrative, I don't think she was the first who did it, but I think in sort of recent music history, also Janelle Monet mm. is someone who. And so I'm I'm wondering, who are your creative inspirations? Who maybe you pop on when you're at home and you just want to listen to some stuff maybe you listen to when you're, you know, writing as well? Wow. So you had mentioned before the, the wild and crazy mind. I think sometimes it's crazier than it is. Um, but yeah, we're going to go into my my playlist in, in just a we second. We like crazy, so that's good. 
Yeah, except to say that I wanted to add Octavia Butler to the list because um was very much immersed in Octavia Butler throughout the the production of both of those who remain and fractures. So definitely have to have to call that out. If I look at my playlist these days, I have um just this week, Santi Gold. Um the Pesh Mode is pretty much almost always in there somewhere. Uh who else? Let's see. Oh, and just like if I want to get lost, there is um, Anjuna Beats or Anjuna Deep actually is the Deep House division. And they just do these wonderful or continuous mixes of Deep House music. It's all fully electronic. So for me, the electronic, electronic junkie um, just craves that that kind of immersion. I would think, though, that the um, the artistic thinker, the one who wants to like dive into the music, I love to get into um, some Santi Gold um, Spirituals, the new album, and then um, Depeche Mode, um, Where's the Revolution, I think is one of my favorite songs, one of their newer works, one of my favorite songs by Depeche Mode. I just, I love that and how they um, also sort of unapologetically took on issues of social justice and social change in, in that album. Well, okay. So I do want to ask about this show coming up on March 2nd, Doors at 8.30 at Toad's Place in downtown New Haven. But since you mentioned Octavia Butler, I want to ask how you feel about the future. So last summer, um, we were very lucky in New Haven to have um, Toshi Reagan and Bernice. Uh, oh, my gosh, I'm blocking on her middle name. I think Bernice Johnson Reagan's right. um, parab opera, Parable of the Sower. Um, and it is this just incredible tour de force of a work based on Octavia Butler's 1993 novel. But of course, Parable is very prescient in that it takes place in 2024 mm -hmm. and it tells a story of environmental harm um and uh and sort of people also turning on each other in a time of scarcity that we are seeing around the world and i am curious within that and within your own um sort of musical world building and composition you know how do you feel about the future mm -hmm. Um, here I have to invoke my more spiritual self. I think of, you know, prophecy, works of prophecy, because to me, the work is in many ways very prophetic, especially when you see so much of what was written um, at that time unfolding right before our eyes or in ways that are um, eer eerily similar. Um, that being said, you know, if I look to biblical scripture, um, there were points in history where people listened to the words of prophecy and they changed. So I want to believe, I have to believe that we have that opportunity at very least to change what looks like um, what looks like a very, uh, you know, scary in many ways, very frightening trajectory. Um, but I like to believe that uh, that we will be like people of old at those at those high points of humanity and that we will recognize and that we will in, in you know, repent I would say from a spiritual sense that we would repent and that we would change. Um, and I think that we have opportunities to do that. I think that's another thing that we kind of learn from um, these stories of old is that, um, is that we all, you know, until all is like essentially lost, that we do have the opportunity to make those decisions. We still have that, that the ability to make those decisions and change. It's not too late. So let's talk about grafting this onto, this being the Fracture Excital, onto Toad's Place, which is a music venue that has been in New Haven forever and ever, not actually forever and ever, 
uh, but for a very long time and is sort of in this heart of of downtown New Haven, I think is one of the only buildings not owned by Yale University uh, on that block, which which Toads is very proud of, which is why I mentioned that. Um, you know, tell me about bringing it into this musical venue after sort of doing the doing the okay. I have a musical uh, recital that's also an exhibition, but at a venue that is used to doing exhibitions, right? And now you've you've sort of got the flip side. Right, right. A, a venue that I should add is used to doing exhibitions, but not musical performances. And so the challenge That's right. is bringing music into a large gallery space. And well, and not only that, but Next Haven is, uh, it's an old, fa it was for years a factory and then it stood empty. And then there was some illegal headphone manufacturing. I mean, it, the building is really interesting, um, but it also has that post-industrial, like it, it was not specifically made for sound, mm -hmm. right? Yes, as we learned. Um, for, for us, it was uh, for for us the Excital production is also um, experimental in a sense. You know, we recognized that um, individuals were very interested in immersive experience, artistic perspective. You know, maybe something more than just a concert, maybe something more than just an exhibition. Why not bring the two together and in a space that not is not necessarily ideal for music? And so now here we are at Toads, um, and thinking about putting uh, putting up photography, like how does one display photography in a sort of nightclub or concert venue environment that doesn't have the kind of lighting that, uh, you know, a gallery space would have or the hanging system. And so we have taken a very creative approach to utilizing um, video screens and projection design to bring the, 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 the photography and the visual works into this space. So essentially, you know, we've just lit the photographs, we put the photographs up, um, and then in some case made uh, some of the works a bit more um, uh, interactive from a visual sense, um, rather than really relying on sort of the, the static sort of hanging systems and, and structures that one would find um, in a gallery, but making that actually integrating that into the performance itself. So hopefully folks will come to check out um, how we've managed to do that, how we've managed to bring the visual art into the into the actual music performance in this space. Yeah. And, you know, as we as we wind down here, um, I'm wondering what you're really hoping folks will will draw from the performance. Right. I would hope that folks draw from performance um, not only the message, the messages. So one of the things that they'll experience when they view the um, the digital photographs is that each photograph and each song comes with a contemplation. I explain the background of each of the songs and I leave them with a contemplation to think about within the context of personal change or social change. Um, so not just those messages, but also just by being with each other, having a good time, dancing to some fun music, also leave with that thread of hope and recognizing that we can come together, we can engage our differences, and uh, we can learn to love with fewer conditions and hopefully thereby change. Well, that sort of factors into uh, my final question, which is, so So this show, this, I guess, iteration of the show grew out of how artists were adapting in uh, in lockdown at the time, and the show has just continued. But I'm I'm curious, you know, for you, how are you also taking care of yourself? And and you spoke a little bit about it, sort of this philosophy of like maybe we can 
get along and we can love each other more and, and we can stop talking past each other. Um, but also like we just talked about the end of the world, right? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so how are you making sure that you're also caring for yourself as a creative? I nourish myself as a creative by um, really trying to surround myself with other creatives. Um, I mentioned before, you know, kind of the birth of ENA was when I began to feel divorced from the creative community. It was because I don't think I was really nurturing that part of myself. I wasn't really taking care of myself, if you will, in that way. And I think that um, being, you know, really immersed in a creative community, and I've really been fortunate since I've been here um, in New Haven, I still feel relatively new. I, I came here in January 2020. So being relatively new, ha new, new Havener myself, um, but one of the things that attracted me to New Haven was its reputation for being such a creative community and being so supportive of creatives. And so I think for th that, it just, for me, it's a really sort of nourishing and nurturing place. It's It's been a space, just the city of New Haven has kind of been a space of self-care for me. I, feel, I don't feel unattended. <laughs> and I hope the city has welcomed you. I, I know that New Haven... Uh when there isn't a pandemic can sometimes be a hard place to tap into. So I hope it's been very welcoming. I, I feel like it has, and there's been plenty, plenty to do. Um, I think when I'm not uh, sort of immersed in my creative community or hold up in my studio, I do like to get out. I need to hike. I need to be out in the woods in the wild somewhere and just kind of taking in natural. Well, we luckily New Haven has no shortage of of park space, and um, I, you know, I f right. I feel like we're lucky to be pretty connected. You can hop on the public bus and get to Sleeping Giant or to other um, parks as well. So, um, Dr. Maurice Harris or Ione, uh, how can people find you if they're like this dude sounds so cool? I need to find out more right now. There goes the rest of my workday. Please visit my website, um, https eone.com. That's I-O-N-N-E.com. And there you will find plenty of information about Fracture, the Fracture Excital, plus my social connection, social media connections, and all of the wonderful ways to stay uh, stay tuned into the music. Um, and if you want to attend ENA's next show on March 2nd uh, at the Lily's Pad at Toad's Place of New Haven, doors are at 8 p.m., the performance is at, well, so according to Toad's website, 8.30. Can I say 8.30? That's yeah. right. Yes. Great. So it starts at 8.30. The doors so, open at 8. Great. Um, and Toad's is right downtown in the heart of New Haven. I will make sure Harry Droz, who is the station manager at WNHH, shares out that information as we're sharing the interview. Um, Dr. Maurice Harris or Ione, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on Arts Respond. I know that Friday is a busy day for humans around New Haven, and I really appreciate you taking the time to spend it with me. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Um, great. And thank you, as always, to Harry Droz, who literally makes sure that we are on the airwaves and on the internets. I appreciate you, Harry. Mm -hmm.